deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. Well, it's another week, it's another show on the semi-live, deep down the rabbit hole, and right now, Queen City of Curio and Apothecary Videocaster, where are we broadcasting from? Mr. Zach, where are we broadcasting from? We're broadcasting from Toronto, Ontario, 607 Gerard Street East on the fourth floor, specifically 401 and 2, though, really, that's pretty much the whole floor, so. Yeah, we we have everything but one office, and we'll one office. Floor. We'll take it over. We'll, we'll take it over. Yeah, we'll take it over eventually. And in fact, you sometimes hear that because sometimes people come to our door right when in the middle of the show. So that's how it is when you do a live radio show and like actually stuff comes out versus overly produced podcasts, etc., etc., even though we have a podcast here. Um, so before we start, we have a couple things coming back the return of the one, the only Do Magic Challenges. In fact, it is coming back, but differently before. And then this time, in a new iteration that we're about to start, heard it here first, people will do magic, come up and devise rituals with one spirit or a general topic, have about two weeks to conceive of that ritual, and we'll kind of be interviewing you as you kind of go through just the process to see, let us know. And then basically... We'll have a panel of semi-celebrities. They're not really celebrities, but they are pretty good occultists and authors. Kind of just tell me what you thought about that. And then we're going to keep going until we get to like semi-finals and finals. And there will be real prizes worth a few hundred dollars. And yeah, it'll be fun times. Yeah, actual um, money. Actual money, people. <laughs> yep, actual actual cash prizes. Yeah, right. Uh, so That'll be the new one. I mean, obviously, it isn't just come up with a ritual. You need to actually spend two weeks actually trying to make the ritual have impact. So it just can't be like TikTok, make a pretty scene. Uh, some of the celebrity judges also are pretty good psychics. So if we don't, when you perform the ritual, if we don't feel that it has a kick, well, probably can't win. So it means you actually have to do the work and have a fun time. Obviously, it's supposed to be a fun time. And generally speaking, I know it sounds like that's totally subjective, but it's really not. Like, if no. you get four people who are generally have some psychic ability in a room and all are saying the head kick, the chances of that being totally subjective are, if you study statistics, almost zero. Like, so, and I study statistics as a data scientist. So, yeah, about that. About that. But yeah. you heard it here first. First of the year, we're going to start. Uh, if people are interesting, interested this weekend, coming up. We'll have, I know the holiday is crazy. Holidays are crazy. But I think next weekend we're going to have a ground and center, basically, to uh, you're having issues with that. Come down to the store, 4 o'clock on Sunday next weekend. Right, Zach? Yep. Next weekend, we'll teach you how to use some stones and stuff like that. Actually use them. So if you have them around your house, that's fine. We'll teach you how to actually use them, the ground, how to, like, hold them in your pocket, all these things to actually go holiday shopping and not go insane sort of a stressful time for a lot of people but we'll show you how to actually use those in stealth ways so you can be out holding your necklace and you're actually doing magic which leads into exactly what we're going to talk about today right zach yes we are yes we are so with us today is Dee Norman. She's what you grew up in an Italian-American magical tradition. She's received her first tarot deck at the age of 11 and has been staying hard reading magic and witchcraft ever since. Her focus is the study of esoteric art, symbolism, and grimoires. She's been a professional tarot and oracle card reader for over 25 years, reading cards and teaching workshops in several states and on two continents. And in 2021, D was published in Emblemata, Leonard Oracle deck based on the art from the 15th century of the Emblem book. She lives in Tennessee with her partner, her daughter, and their dog, Halloween Jack. Welcome to the show. Hi, and thank you. No, I said that was related because one of the first things in your actual book talks about practical magic. It's all about carrying things in your pocket and making stuff change, sometimes through stealth means. Um, or not what people think is ritual magic. Not necessarily not magic, but not, not the same as ritual magic. Correct. 
uh, I've experienced two different magical traditions in my life. I grew up first in an Italian-American folk magical tradition, like my bio says, that came through my mother's side of the family. And so it's something that I have experienced pretty much since birth. However, that key moment, the age of 11 on St. Nicholas night, when I received my first tarot deck, opened up the wide world of ritual and ceremonial magic to me. And so I've also been pursuing that, not really since the age of 11, but since about the age of 16. So I'm very familiar with the similarities and differences between the two styles of practice. But this book that I wrote is all about my family's practice, which is very down to earth, very simple, very effective. Right, right. I mean, like, you you make the point early on in the book that a lot of what's in the book shares similarities with other sort of ground, what I call grounded traditions, like conjure and Greek magic and sort of other kind of folksy styles of magic that maybe aren't highbrow magic or high magic. They Correct. Sort of like, I, th I think you made the statement like your grandmother did it your mom did it you do it and it's all about actually magic that keeps the whole family doing well like you know like really kind of practical like how how do we keep people from being sick how do we get a little extra money to buy christmas gifts like it's it's not how do i contact god right now right. Uh, and <laughs> become one with the angels it is really about really about what is day-to-day -day life with magic and I found that really much more and it's, it's much more about how do I contact, you know, great aunt Lucy and ask her for help with my, you know, marital problems or, you know, there's a lot of ancestor work. There's a lot of work with the saints, but it's on a very practical, that laundry list, shopping list level where you've got things you need to get done and you use magic to get them done. Yeah. And it's interesting because the saints is actually another one that's, you know, I think. We see that a lot in conjure work too. We see that in all the traditions that necessarily Christianity has sort of touched. There's this the highbrow of the saints, and then then there's this sort of like all of us lighting candles for Saint Expedite to get things to hurry up, you know. But maybe not Saint Expedite in your case, but you know maybe Saint Saint Anthony to open up doors, you, you know. Saint Expedite is my patron saint. He's who I work with the most. San Expedito in Italian. <laughs> The saint that only exists in New Orleans, but now he exists everywhere. There is a lot of tradition with him in parts of Italy. We'll break it up. Now we're having problems. Is it us? I think it says no connection on her end, from what I can see. Well... Let's check that out real fast. We are having technical difficulties. Yep, she's back. YouTube real fast to see that it's... Nope, we're back in. She is having a little bit of problems there. Hi, can you hear me now? Hi, yes, we can. Yeah, so can. live radio. Live so radio. Before we go any further, like, before we go any further, oh, oh, Papa Lekwa, open the doors, right? <laughs> Agun, Agun. Keep the technological the technology open despite all the haters that seemingly affect the negative internet. You'll get some rum later. Eh? Eh? Yeah. There we go. Practical magic. Practical magic right there. Practical magic right there. So where did I uh, cut off? People might think I was joking, but Zach's like, nah, he wasn't joking. He wasn't joking. I was I was gonna go to another room. I know we're live. I was gonna get you the rum, man. So. Yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> let's let's keep talking about this because I think it's very interesting. I myself have done a lot of ceremony magic and a lot of traditions, and and there's a different thing about magic when you're just trying to keep your family okay and ceremonial magic. Although I'd, I'd argue like it's probably a hidden secret that nobody talks about because I don't know why they don't want to talk about it. They can use angels in a more folksy manner, but okay. But I mean, for the most part, there's this sort of like, well, you just need to do magic uh, in ceremonial magic for self self uh, sort of just self change. But this isn't that type of magic. Like it's like, you know, what do you do? And rent is due and quite make it, you know, um, and there's a lot of things. One of the ones that we 
we kind of mentioned was like there's like this little coin spell i think that's a great little example because that's not the first this is not the first time i've heard this spell i've heard this in different forms but it's i think it's a really good example of a lot of the things in the book uh, and maybe you could tell us the coin spell because it's it's so easy anyone could do it even listen and listening gladly so the thing about the coin spell, the one trick is, is in this modern world, I rarely have coins in my pocket because I pay for everything digitally. But if you do happen to have coins in your pocket, the first moment you glimpse the full moon, you can either, what, what I was taught was you reach in your pocket and you turn a coin over in your pocket and you say something along the lines of, you know, full moon, bless this coin and bring me lots of prosperity throughout the, throughout the month. Then you either keep that coin with you or you spend it to make sure that it brings blessings into other people's lives too, which is what I normally do. It's I make sure to spend the coin so that it brings that positive energy and you know spreads it around the community. There's a lot in Italian American folk magic that has to do with not only improving your home life, but improving the lives of the families around you. Yeah, yep. I mean, we should talk about that because you're coming from your mom did this. Your grandmother did this what it was like as a kid like uh, i don't know like coming from families that are magical like uh did they actually tell you what you're doing or they just did it and said i expect you to kind of be like did you figure it out like you know it's just what we do it is the fate of the immigrant child their elders want to americanize them and right. um make them blend in and so a lot of what was done by my mother and grandmother was done on the down low we weren't given a lot of explanation but i was highly highly curious so i would ask questions and pursue the information because i was very interested in it all but they didn't want to reveal a lot of it at first and it really was not until i was in my 30s that i got my first real sit down have a interview style conversation with both my mother and grandmother at the same time and ask them to fill in the details of some of the things I had been witnessing my entire life. So up until then, they might tell me to, for example, burn a black candle, which is the name of my book, but they wouldn't necessarily say how that was going to help me or what that was going to do for me. Just I needed to do it. And then it was therefore taken on faith. So I would take the little candle home and I would burn the little candle knowing I was doing something, but what exactly the mechanism was was not explained sounds very familiar coming from the ukrainian family all these things never told me like why i should do this or you know why they were so militant about me being an altar boy none of it like they don't tell you like oh yeah this is actually ritual magic and you know this is actually this and this and that because of what you said and i think that's an important point this americanization and by americanization we should say this is americanization of the 60s and 70s and probably yes. early 80s it's not americanization now now people would come in and be like this is what we do right because the culture has radically changed in the last 20 years or so or, or 30 years it's not in in the 70s or 60s you didn't talk about this stuff you didn't or world war ii you didn't talk about it yeah, I yeah. think that even today, there's still a lot of reticence because of the type of information that it is. Nobody wants to seem foolish. No one wants to seem credulous in front of strangers. And so a lot of the stuff I still think is kept very much on the down low. And I can only get people to open up and talk about their family practices if I start revealing my family practices in front of them. And that kind of gets the ball rolling. They know I'm a safe audience in which to you yeah. know, express all of that. Well, I should say, if you know anyone or anyone listening wants to talk, you're like, you know, we just do a show. We get all these people with family practices together and just talk about, like, like, because we we know the stuff was real. Like, you know, like, uh, so, like, seriously, like, don't be ashamed by that. In public service, we're telling you. Like, uh, <laughs> I found it also interesting because some of the things is kind of like, even though you do ceremony and magic, there's parts where you're talking about doing psychic readings and having something to actually basically that's really hard to to get for a lot of ceremonial magicians is that yeah you have to actually kind of learn your own symbols and your own symbolism and kind of figure out well maybe what some of this means may not be the same as your mom's or grandmother's or what's in the book 
Yeah, and, and that morphs and changes over the time. And the only way you can get that is through attention. And my favorite topic, journaling, what you remember, what you experience, write it down because you'll lose it and you won't find the patterns in it like you would if you actually record it or audio right, record it if I, you don't want to write it down. I got to play the sound effect because I so support this message. Yep. <laughs> Totally support it. I, mean, I don't know how many times we've been on the phone. We're like, or we're dealing with students. We're like, yeah, you got to journal stuff. And they're like, I don't want to journal. We're like, there's no record. It didn't happen. They're like, it happened. I'm like, no, it didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, it, and I'm sure you have both and students, your students have experienced that psychic wallpaper effect that happens where something phenomenally strange will happen, but your brain just likes to wallpaper that over and you don't remember it unless something else calls it to mind later. And, and if you don't, if you write it down, it gets captured. If you don't, you know, it's luck of the draw, whether some other experience brings that forward in your mind again. Well, actually, if it goes further than that, and we've actually tested this, you can do open magic in a cafe outright have a hardcore magic cafe and everyone will not remember what's going on if you try to pet you know other people are in there that don't know what you actually do they won't remember that time slice and everyone will just think like oh i just went and got a drink they won't remember anything weird at all like and that's in interesting for now we've actually tested this like we could get this from strangers like yep. and in public places where people just mentally go out of their way because they, I believe it's because they psychically just use the phrase from Hitchhiker's Guide to University. It's someone else's problem field. <laughs> and they just like put it out of their memory, but they put it out of their memory so far, they don't even remember that there was something weird going on that day in that place. You know, and, and we've tested this effect. Like you can have this multiple you can times. This out. You you can go bring your tarot cards and you're like going hard with your you have a little cappuccino and you're you go hard. Try it out. You'll see. D. You'll you'll see. You'll see. You'll be like, wow, no one did everyone walked away like nothing's happening. And then if you actually do anyone there, like, yeah, did you notice anything? Nope. It's weird. It's totally it's weird. really weird. So like what it. you're describing that we do ourselves when you don't write it down is sort of a fact that is general. Or you can expand it. You could try it out to expand it to other people too. So one of the things you kind of, and you keep going on that with the journaling, but you're talking about like the importance of actually writing down your psychic impressions too, as part of this Italian witchcraft. Like, it, like Italian witchcraft tends to use a lot of herbs, but you're not just like at first. You aren't like, here's your recipes. You're like, what's your psychic impression of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing. I have been teaching workshops everywhere for a long time now. And a lot of the people that I re interact with when they're first starting into a magical practice are completely concerned and paranoid over if they have psychic ability or not. And if they're going to be able to get the impressions that they need in order to know what's going on. And, you know, it takes a lot of convincing to tell someone you're picking up on those impressions already. You just need to recognize them. And the way you recognize them is knowing yourself really well and starting to decipher the impressions you're already receiving. And that goes back to that idea of your personal symbolism. But it also goes to, you know, using that practice regularly when you're doing magical and spiritual work and, and taking a moment to not go, okay, well, it says Basil does this in the book or on the internet. And so that's what I'm going to use Basil for. You could have a completely different relationship with Basil. And you might have to spend some time with Basil to figure out what your relationship with Basil is and, and what you're going to use it for. Because there are many, many uses for Basil throughout history. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the hardest thing about, I mean, this is the hardest thing to get people out of, what you're describing. I really think it is, right? Because ceremonial magic has, most people, ceremonial magic is their first inclination for magic. And ceremonial magic says this is the correspondence, and this is the book. All the books say this. But practicing magicians like yourself, and I think all of us here would say, well, it sort of depends, you know, like, it's not as easy to decide. Like basil is a great example because there's probably five different uses I could think of basil right off the top of my head. And some seem like they might be partially conflicting, like depending on what they're mixed with. Like 
generally a benign herb, a generally and tasty as well, very tasty, <laughs> but not necessarily like what people would think it would be like, well, what about this one use? It's like, well, you know, it's like another one is like cinnamon, like, well, there's a lot of uses for cinnamon too, you know, that people might be like, what? You know, like, because it's again, like, it's not as simple as here's this, it's how you're interacting with the herb. And I liked what you said there, like kind of, kind of similarly stressing this, you're already getting impressions, like you're just ignoring them. It's like, uh, it's pretty, a pretty good way to start. Like it's a good way to talk about it. Do you ever find like when you're t teaching people what they expect is sort of the a idea of magic's getting away of what's actually going on? Like, I think so. I don't think it lasts for long if they're really determined to pursue the path, whichever path they are pursuing. Eventually, it has to sink into them that they're experiencing things that they did not expect. And, you know, but there's often a pep talk or two that is along the lines of, if it was everything that you just expected, why would it be magic? It would just be some kind of science. If, if you put in this input and you expect this output and you get that output, but then that's not a lot of room for magic happening. You have to give the universe the elbow room to deliver and to create, you know, the unexpected. Because to me, the unexpected is a large slice of what magic actually is. You put an intention out there, you don't know how it's going to get fulfilled until it gets fulfilled. And it may happen in a completely unexpected way. And that can really upset people. There are people that are very much into only getting, you know, what they put into it or only getting what they expect to get out of it. Well, one of the things I like to always say is that if you could predict the mechanism of the magic, you wouldn't have needed it in the first place. Yes. Like. Right, because you had already did all the exact things you needed to do to get exactly the outcome you wanted to get. So, you know, why would you do magic at that point instead of do the exact steps you know you have to do to get the exact steps that you need to happen? You know, magic always happens at the thing where you're hitting a blind spot where you otherwise don't know what steps are necessary, right? And you're basically, I mean, you're not, maybe not asking for help, but you're using this like sort of extra extra um i don't want to say force because i don't want to use that term either but using some extra x factor to facilitate something that would not normally happen um because if it could happen in in what you thought in your if you had all the details down it would be easy to make a project plan and just make it happen like as in you just study project planning and figure out you do stuff this and this and this and this and this and the next thing you know all of a sudden you get this outcome and it's pretty predictable if you're a good project planner. Uh, and if we wanted that as magicians or witches or whatever you identify as, like we would and often do put our stuff into a project plan to get X, Y, and Z when we can really conceive what the steps are. I mean, so I'm not against project planning. I also, that's kind of what I do a lot of the time. But I mean, if I needed, if I wanted something that I'm magicking for, it means I don't really know how to make it happen. I have found that I don't want to be one of those people that are like having a child teaches you so much, but no, seriously, teaching a child yeah. about magic really makes you break down magic and how it works and the mechanisms it uses. Well, and yeah. and yeah. one thing I found myself a conversation with my daughter about, you know, is she's like, mom, can you do this? Can you do that thing she sees on TV? I'm like, no, I can't do any of that. And I said, but, you know, for example, I could do a ritual, very intense one right now to open our front door, you know, and someone may come home unexpectedly and open the front door. And that could be the mechanism through which that spell worked, or the wind could blow it open, or someone could wreck a car into it or anything. Or I could walk over and open the front door. Exactly. <laughs> because this yeah. is of energy and effort required for the magical route is usually much more than if you have a practical mundane solution, you know, right. and, and so what is the point of sitting here and chanting for 10 hours to get my front door open when I can walk over there and do it? So then she was kind of like, eh, well, magic's boring. And off she went because she was like 11 at the time. But, you know, it's important to know that's why you save up magic for the stuff the protect my family the you know heal my wounds the you know 
bring in the money to pay the rent. That's why you save it up for that important stuff because it's effort. If you take it seriously for what it is and you rely on it, it is a lot of effort. I think so. I mean, although I take a more martial arts approach to magic, so I'm like, yeah, you do magic for stupid stuff. But that's like you go to the, the you go to the the dojo and you're throwing punches continuously for no reason, like except for practice. Like, you know, well, practice it, is not a waste at all, I think. No, because... no, no, no. But the goal is like, okay, so I saw Blackbird today. Great job, Magic. Great job. But I mean, it's no. not like, hey, Red, but it's like, okay, I saw this weird animal today. Great job. I mean, that's the kind of stuff to keep yourself sharp, okay? Or, great, I, I caused it to, to rain today. Good job, Magic. Right, right. Like, you know, like, again, but that's practice. Like, that's a little different. And that's I think that's such an important point because it's like, yeah, why would you spend 10 hours to do a spell to make the door open? Yep. Yep. I mean, and, but, and there's where you want to allocate your interests and your energy. You only have so much day. You only have so much energy. And what do you save up to use for magic and esoteric practices? I mean, also the other thing like paying rent or uh, protection is more complicated. There's a lot more chaos there's a lot more variables that kind of we can't see you know like like whether or not you're i mean i think you're you're in rural tennessee right or just south of nashville so just south so of like yeah if you're in like the heart of downtown nashville right whether or not you're there when there's a mugging or not is there's so many variables of how protection magic affects that like yes. you could be five minutes late on the highway and you're not at the right place at the right time for that to have occurred like it's, mm -hmm. it's so chaotic that there's a lot of room for manipulation it's not quite like the door which it's more like a nudge in those situations right right it's a very subtle nudge that that's all it meet that's all it needs uh, you know like or with rent it's often just a matter of did your employer pay you or did did you sell enough books this month right like <laughs> It's kind of chaotic, right? There's not enough, there's not a linear X to Y relationship between those. There's a linear X to Y relationship on the outcome, but not the process. Like, it's not so simple. Like, I could just walk to the door. Like, a lot of things have to happen for rent to get paid. Like, my employer has to, well, I mean, usually you wouldn't even have to enchant for that if you had a real stable job. But if you didn't, like, you know, do you get the money that somebody owes you by the time it's there? Or do other people book at the last minute? Like all those things are kind of chaotic because now you're dealing with the internet and you're dealing, or you're dealing with your social, your not social network, but your in-person social network, as it were. Like, you know, like, you know, or any number of variables that this could come through. Like the mechanism is still chaotic and complicated, you know, or, you know, you know, whenever I teach magic to kids, maybe the kids are doing protection magic for their parents, right? That's still <laughs> complicated, right? Like, which, you know, it's it's sort of like, what does protection mean at that point? Well, it could mean a lot of things, but usually it means, you know, bad stuff just doesn't hit you. And that's complicated. That's a complicated sort of intention. It's not so simple, like like the door example you gave. And it's and it's that's where that beauty of the giving the universal wiggle room to come through for you really pays off. When there's all those variables and there's lots of wiggle room, then it doesn't seem as difficult to accomplish your goals magically. So in your book, you describe olive oil and water as a divination for healing. That's pretty practical. So could you get into that a little bit? Yes, this is both diagnosis and cure for the evil eye. And this is a practice that is handled very differently from one Italian family to the other, at least in the U.S. Uh, and I assume in Italy too. And some people that really feel like this is information, I will say, preface this with, cannot be passed on except under a certain key set of circumstances. And I put it in my book. And why did I put it in my book? Because I don't want this to die out and I want people to be able to, I thought that there was an audience out there of people who were Italian-American who weren't magicians, who wanted to figure out what Nona was doing in the kitchen all those times. So anyway, when someone is suspected of having the evil eye, you sit them in a chair in the kitchen, you get a white saucer, 
and you fill it with water. Now, some people do holy water. We would just do water right from the tap. And what you do is you hold the saucer of water over their head and you pray our fathers and Hail Marys alternately, one after the other. And as you do that, dip your hand into the olive oil and drop it into the water three times. One, two, three. And then you pretty much scry using the oil to determine if the person has the evil eye or not. And so there's, and it's funny, if you talk from family to family, there are different. Some say if all the oil comes together into one spot in the center, forming an eye shape, so the saucer looks like an eye, that means the person has the evil eye. There's other families that say the exact opposite, that if, the, if it spreads across the water and doesn't make a coherent shape, then that means that does, the person doesn't have the evil eye. So you can take your pick, but just pick in advance what you are going to use. It sounds so much like the Ukrainian earwax thing that Zach knows seen me do, like where you take the yeah. person's yeah. earwax and you basically melt it and put it on water and you can tell if someone's cursed based on the pattern of the earwax. That's wild. I've never heard of that before. I love it. Oh, yeah. Or the walk. It's Ukrainian thing. So, I mean, but it's very similar. Like the methodology you described is very, very similar, like except instead of olive oil, we're using the person's earwax. But like yeah. that very i'm like no that's very i mean now one of the things too is we should say what the evil eye actually is because i think some people may not actually know yes. listening they heard the term is, they hear the term but i don't think they know it is a very complex group of beliefs having to do with this the general idea that someone's negative glance can do harm to you your possessions or your loved ones it can it's usually rooted in jealousy in you having something that they want but it can also be rooted in other things but a lot of most of the time having to do with jealousy or envy and lenvedia you know the, the envious eye and it is found in historically in cultures across the globe except for china australia and North America are the three places where it was not found historically. I think there's variants of the evil eye thing in China. Right, Zach? Oh, there absolutely is. There absolutely Really? Is. Because all yeah. of the literature, the scholarly literature says no. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's mostly, it's combined with mudras. And remember that in Chinese garments, you usually be wearing robes. So you usually do the mudras and then you're projecting with your eyes. Or you're doing it while doing a talisman on your tongue, like drawing oh. it out the script, and then you breathe it out. So both variants work depending on which way you go about it. That is fascinating. Is there a term or something that I could search for that would have more info? I see what I do a class on the evil eye, so <laughs> is see, there a yeah. term or anything I can search for to find out more. There is no terms, unfortunately. It's just more like it's in the oral tradition. So. Mm -hmm. Ooh, all right. You're the no, well, you're the no. So, and then that narrows it even to fewer traditional cultures that didn't have that. So it is a very widespread, and there's a ton of elaboration on the different beliefs. One question about the Ukrainian practice. So with the Italian-American practice, when we find the diagnosis, we take scissors and we cut the symbol that shows us that there is the evil eye and we like mess it all up and to cure it to get rid of it and then we clean out the bowl and do the process over again to check and see if we were successful is there anything like that in the ukrainian practice where you kind of get rid of it and then you retest oh yeah you definitely you know if you see somebody's curse you definitely take corrective action right there well i mean it depends it depends on the person like like I mean, some people will be you got to get paid uh, you got to get paid to take the curse away, but if the family, if it's a family member, you definitely take it away. And again, this gets into family stuff where I've seen it done. It wasn't explained. In retrospect, I get it. So, like once the once you've got the earwax, because you actually you you, you use hot water to get it out, and then put it in a bowl, and then the minute that you're like, yeah, this person's curse, you start you start singing the rosary or praying the rosary over that person. Um, to, to break it, you know, and if it's necessary, start calling saints and that's, that's what I saw. Like, but it's, but it's done in Ukrainian. So it's a little like you're asking, they're praying rosary in Ukrainian or like, that's the way I saw it. And then they're basically going and, and doing it in practice. Like I don't necessarily do the rosary cause I have other 
things to call. But I mean, I have done the wax stuff before because basically it's pretty good. It's a sympathetic link and it really does tell you, you can pretty easily see in the water. Like, is this person cursed? Really cursed, actually, like uh, just because it got from their body. So they, you know, if there's a curse in there, right? But I'm going to try this oil thing because it's that's easier. I don't have to like, you know, get it. Yeah. I will never forget once I I was, this has happened very recently to me where I thought I might have the evil eye. And so I was preparing and I was going to do it on myself with the saucer and everything, hold it over my head. And my partner, who is also magically inclined, is like, oh, hey, let me help you. And I'm like, thanks. And so I get the saucer of water, I fill it up and I put it on the table in front of me. I sit down in the chair. He walks into the room and he's like, oh, hey, let me get that for you. He grabs the saucer and just dumps it all over me. He didn't realize there was water in it. (laughs) It <laughs> just soaked me and I was like, okay, this might be an indication that there's something a little bit off in the household if we can't even get the ritual to detect if I have evil eye right and you're pouring. I generally think that as, as a public figure, as you know, probably there's probably about, you know, a hundred curses that get thrown every couple months. You know, it's just, I, it I don't know why, I, but you know, it's probably true. I upped the home and family protection about the time that the book came out and then and even did protection for like my publisher and my agent. And like, I was just like going to be very thorough I should, about it. I should probably do that next time. Like, that's probably a good idea. It's probably more thorough. I don't know why people feel the need to do that, but they do. And that's unfortunate. But I think well, I don't know But go ahead. In my family's tradition, a lot of it is unintentional. So they may be feeling the negativity towards the person, but they're not necessarily throwing it your way. But the other thing is, is that there is a belief that the person who does intentionally throw that negativity your way is being influenced by their own negative entities that are kind of controlling, manipulating them. And so when you pray to get rid of the evil eye, you also pray for whoever sent it to help them escape whatever negative entities forces that they're suffering from i mean i know we weren't going to just talk about the evil eye but i think it's actually i think it's a fascinating contact because the evil eye suggests that anyone can do magic a lot of the myths suggest anyone can do magic it's in there it's like people would say oh no that's not what it says but it is really saying if there's enough envy enough like core envy like i mean pure unadulterated envy rage like as it were like it's it's not just rage because it's envy rage or like you know that's enough with the eye and the contact with the person to cast the evil eye in a lot of cultures that's enough to cause an actual curse to do damage but it can't be a cursory sort of envy or jealousy it has to be this almost madness level of jealousy but it happens more than people would ever like to admit you know like even in american culture like people are really jealous over the neighbor that gets a new car or well over the author that publishes a new book you know like they or don't approach- social media in general you know people who or- go on social media i go on social media i put myself out there now because i do have a book that i'm trying to promote and you're trying to show pieces of your life off but you're also trying to keep things the distance between yourself and the world at large because yeah that's a big concern for me it's like i don't want to just you don't just go out and boast and brag about all these wonderful things happening to you because that's asking for it in my culture it's asking i think i think i was always taught like almost not to brag about anything like you know like and that doesn't work in the modern social media because people expect they expect you to actually talk about the results of your magic and you know by the time i'm talking about the results of your magic my magic it's already been two years so people are like it's a general metric and zach has actually seen this before i start talking about how the spell happened and phenomenal awesome results it's been about two years since i got the awesome results like i figure that's such past tense that it doesn't matter anymore right because i was actually taught you know it's not that you don't talk about the magic it's that you don't talk about what you want or what you're actually getting because of the evil eye or 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 the witchcraft of the mouth or all the kind of jealousy based traditions you know so it's like if i was ever a millionaire it would be I wouldn't talk about it until I was already a triple millionaire, right? Like, you know, like, 
Yeah, I've crossed a million threshold, but it's more like now I've crossed a five million a year threshold, right? And then I would talk about it because, you know, at that point it's it's past it's past the the breakthrough point, you know, and that's unfortunate. But I think that's a good a good metric that you're talking about, or good not talking about this. Again, I know it's against what is generally advised as social media marketing. But it's, it's hard. Totally... I mean, you've got to balance. And I, what I find myself doing is that if I want to use an example for spell work, if I want to show off an altar that I made, I fake it all. I, like it. I don't fake it. I make the real thing, but not for any purpose. I create a spell that is just for illustration purposes. I create an altar that is just for illustration purposes because I don't know how people deal with just here's a picture of my altar i'm like oh don't show people pictures of your altar (laughs) show people what you're doing i generally i've taken the approach that they are the altars we make because we make a lot of altars here like we just did fecate which is like the service to the dad we had video changes it's like but it was for the the fecate is supposed to be for the purpose to communicate with the dead but it was done with the ideology that it was going to be shared to the public like with the spirit's That's knowledge that yeah. it was going to be shared to the public, that we were doing this in a way that it was going to be filmed and that we were going to take pictures and share them. Like, I don't, I kind of made a separation between private altars or what I have in my house versus what we build in the center for public consumption. Like anything built in the mm-hmm. center is for the public to consume. And therefore the spirits involved are very well aware that part of the for me personally part of the arrangement we're making is that you know there has to be some level of protection for us to share this that could actually help people like Mm -hmm. like it could actually help someone trigger them in a good way they might see an altar that helps that has some psychic juice that helps them you know break through whatever their issues are but that's been the sort of workaround like that anything in the public sphere is public and the spirits already know that but that, that would communal be like... community type altar is a lot different than than there's lots of people on social media that are just like here's my private personal altar in my house like nope i would never do it. that actually i don't know why people would do that well for what think, you're describing i think a lot of it has to do with people who are just starting out and who don't have other people around them want to share what they're doing so badly want feedback on what they're doing so badly that they want to put it out there and they want to get feedback on it and they want people to go that's gorgeous or you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong or they want some kind of indication that what they're doing is real and if you don't have anyone to talk to in your own personal private life about that you don't get that type of validation so those those people start Uh, out you know you know what i think that's a real problem you know like I mean, because a lot of the stores are not accessible. A lot of the places are not accessible. They, you, you can't, I mean, I mean, you could come to our store and ask us, hey, can I come to a ritual? We'll be like, go get us lunch and we'll go to the other room, I guess, right? You know, sure, whatever yeah. you want to do, we can clean it, you know, after you've done it. Like, hopefully you buy the, you know, herbs and candles here. So we, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? But there's a lot of places not so accessible. So where do you go? Um, Where I am right now, my little local shop, the pandemic got it, and they had to close their doors, and there's no place near me. I would have to drive into almost the center of Nashville to get to a place, and so I have relied. Now, I make a lot of my own candles. I I patronize a lot of, like, little independent makers online and stuff like that. I'll be trying out. If you guys ship, I'll be checking out your shop. We do ship. We do. We do. We make a... We don't have enough time to make as much stuff as we'd like. We have like some pretty talented potion. I don't want to say potion makers because they sound like so Harry Potter-ish. Potion masks. But I mean, my wife makes oils and some of the actually best oils I've ever, ever used. And I don't say that just to, because she's my wife. Like Zach, right? Aren't they the best oils that we've ever They are ever absolutely seen? the best oils. Like someone got a small sample of the fiery wall protection. They got fixed the next day. Their problem. Yeah, like, I'm like, I mean, me and my wife, we would basically like, wife, like, if you're gonna make oils, just don't only use essential oils because I hate synthetics. Mm-hmm. I don't hate synthetics, but oh my God, like the stuff she comes up with, like, I'm like, well, it's pretty good. It's yeah. Just, yeah. If you weren't my wife, I'd still think this is pretty good. Like, you know, there's the wife effect, and then there's, I'm like, but this is actually pretty good. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd spend, 
I'd buy those ones. We, we um, have spent. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I mean, on the flip side of that, like that's kind of also. I mean, you like. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of the also what you're talking about in the book is also this kind of making your own stuff. You know, not necessarily complicated, right? Like, like. Yeah, we're talking about essential oils, but some of the spells look to me like you just mix a couple herbs and olive oil, and there's your oil. And that works perfectly fine. Yeah. So growing up, you know, my mother and grandmother used very few components. They used stuff sparingly and they used stuff that, you know, came right out of their kitchen. Now, Italian American folk magic is often called kitchen witchery, and there's a large facet of it that is kitchen witchery. I don't think all of it is kitchen witchery. I do think all of it is a very practical magic and writing the book for two audiences, one audience being magicians who just want to learn the Italian American aspect of practical magic. And the other audience being people who maybe have never done magic consciously in their entire lives and are just want to maybe experiment with it. I wanted to keep things very simple so that they could pick up stuff around the house, which is what my mother and grandmother did anyway, and still accomplish things magically without having to go break the bank and, you know, go and buy a lot of stuff and get a lot of supplies, you know, and then if you really get into the practice, then you can go and branch out, go to your metaphysical shops and and, and get some more complex spell components and, and work with them. But, you know, the tools that you start out with, I think should be very simple because they should be aids to what you're trying to accomplish and not detract from your work. And I think a lot of times people try to use super complex setups and that just distracts them from their focus and they, they can't accomplish what they want to because the tools are actually pulling their attention away from what they're trying to actually do. So, you know, and, and it's funny because mom and grandma, if I say, I talk about it in the book, they would say they do not practice magic. They categorize themselves as good Catholic women who do not practice magic. They practice this wild and wacky version of Italian folk Catholicism, but they do not practice magic. And they'd say to me, oh, you with your Kabbalah and your tree of life and your you know, Hebrew, that's magic. What we do is not magic. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, we would have this debate. Right, right. Just right. like my family making me become an altar boy so I would learn like all the stuff that's not magic you know that's just being a good catholic even though you know three or four people in the family ended up as jesuit priests after the fact right sure it's not magic it's 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 not you're not doing magic we're just we're just teaching you so that way like those of you like little sensitive you get the right you you you'll be in better hands that way yes yeah as, as a guy like it's not magic nor is it the fact that we have the priest come to to the house and bless every single window before oh, Easter, gosh. every yeah. single window, every single door. It's not magic. It's not no. magic. It's I got to be, by the way, my parish's one of two of my parish's first altar girls. When they finally right. had altar nice. girls happen, I got to be. It was a scandal at the time, which I think back on now and I think it's crazy. But it's. And, and it was interesting because about the time second grade hit, I wanted to be a priest so bad. <laughs> and then it had to be explained to me multiple times about why I could be a priest. And I thought it was BS at the time. Very upset. Uh, but yeah, Catholicism brings its own special magic and the folk variations on it can be so complex and so beautiful. Those unwritten practices that, you know, folks that aren't in any book brings a lot of richness to people's lives i think that's that's the thing there's i mean there's sort of european and hispanic and 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 these other you know subcultures catholicism and then there's like the more protestant level of catholicism like and i think we don't under, a lot of people don't realize they're really not the same thing like even like as raised as an eastern orthodox catholic the, it was clear that demons were actually real. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a metaphor for your subconscious mind. No, no. <laughs> no. Demons come through thing. the windows. And when other people get jealous, they literally send demons to you because that they give the evil eye and then demons come and follow the evil eye who, who gets marked by it or essentially something similar to that. So we got to, like, make sure our neighbors don't send the evil eye to us. You know, or something. 
right? Like, and it wasn't like a, wasn't like we're going to talk about magic or overly described. It was like, this is just the way it is, right? This is, you know, you got to, which is very different than I think a lot of people's experience. So that Catholic Catholicism thing, it's like, it's, there's not one Catholicism either. I think people have to realize that, like. Because my, my partner, he grew up in a, in a, in Owen, Owensboro, Kentucky. It's a very small town. He grew up Catholic, but it was a very canonical, plain, vanilla Catholicism. And, and I would talk to him and be like, man, it's amazing what I grew up with. And he's like, we did not have the same Catholicism. He's like, it's not fair. Like I had this very strict, very by the book, very law abiding Catholicism that was very rough on, you know, ideas of guilt and sin. And, and my family was just all over the place because Italian Americans, they say you need the church when you're born, when you marry and when you die. And that's pretty much it. The rest of the time, you know, you go in and out of the church building and do whatever you want, but you don't have to go to mass or pay attention to the priest. Those people are crazy. You do what you, you know, there's a very personal relationship with God, even within the Catholic context. So you show up for feast days, you party, you do bingo and stuff like that. And then you, you know, pretty much ignore everything else that comes out of the Vatican. See, this is reminding me of even like the Cantonese Catholicism, which is hilarious because they're like, well, you know, Guan Yin's an angel. Screw it. You just go to her when you need stuff. And you're like, right. (laughs) Nice. So do you have any appearances coming up? So I let me think about that. No, I do not. Actually, I have. Taking a rest book came out in September. I did a lot of running around in September, October, and have been recovering in November. And now the holidays are coming in December. <clears throat> but I'm about to start uh, planning my schedule for next year. I do a lot of appearance, appearances in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm hoping to go to, went to Mystic South, which is a Southern magic convention. Last year, I'm hoping to go there again this year do a presentation last time it was on Lane Mond. this time it will probably be on the evil eye believe it or not and there's also a shop there that i'm hoping to do a presentation at but all my conventions and stuff are all up in the air right now because i haven't heard back from whether i've been accepted or not so should you travel to the great white north of the canadian lands we would welcome to do a like you know some stuff and have you Absolutely. Uh, present stuff at our store. Like, oh uh, my gosh, that would be so fun. So, I've never so. gotten, I've only been in the airport in Canada once while flying back from Australia. I've never gotten to like enjoy Canada. So that would be a delight. Well, well Toronto's a pretty cool city. So, so if you ever find yourself or ever want to come up here, well, well you know, we'll make it happen. I figure, figure awesome. it happen. you know, it could be fun times. Um, so that said, do we have anything coming up, Zach? For the store, I think we do. Well, absolutely. So, as Andrea was saying earlier, we do have the rounding and centering to keep your sanity workshop coming up next week. On, oh, actually, not even is that next week or is it tomorrow? Tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, it is it tomorrow. That, it is tomorrow. So we're already look, losing our sanity for holidays. Right. So de-stress is tomorrow, four o'clock. And then the week after on the 18th, we have the tarot workshop that we're continuing with that series with our sponsors. And then after that, we have a few goodies. Coming we up should say that it's insanity because we've like mapped all the writer wipe to the Kabbalah and yes. actually like show how to use it and actually show like how to actually use it intuitively with the guide rails of the Kabbalah, not like strict ceremonial magic more practically and even then people pushed me on how to make talismans out of every tarot card so we went over that last class in the for the cup for the cups so more than your average class like especially when you start talking about making talismans and we're talking about calling the spirit of each tarot cards even minor arcana and and the face cards and uh, so people are getting a lot out of it um yep and then from there New year, new luck. So January 1st, we're starting our Luck Buddha series. So we got some rituals on that for people who like to become a sponsor and or you could pay a la carte for that. We also have a package set up for that one. And then we have our Fox Dallas Fox Magic Workshop. 
on the 28th of January. So We should say all of our classes are hybrid. So if you are interested, we do them in person and online. And I, I will say that all also, you know what, we could work, work something it's out, off. you know? We could work something out. Like, we could work something like, out. We could work something out. Like, pimp us, we'll be like, come on in. It's, on it's in. a guest author, Dean Norman, right? There will be one more thing because it's by popular demand. I've been requested by about five people to do hold a massive chaos bath for me. Let me let me get the sound here. Wait, you're gonna do the sound? Happening because of the massive chaos bath for me? Really? Okay. Cool. Well, been requested to do a massive chaos bath for me, and here's the deal: anyone who is a lead sponsor, which is only ten bucks a month or better, up to the platinum sponsors we have, we'll will you can come in virtually or whatever. I'll give you all the instructions, and we'll do a massive chaos bath for me around the second week of January. Which is an intense, insane ritual of magical empowerment. Um, I know people usually think it's a dark ritual, but I don't, because Baphomet is so associated with the core elements of Earth itself and the dualities of Earth itself. So, uh, yeah, you asked, I'll do it. Second week of January. There you go. It's going to be a lead sponsor, right? I'm not going to just do it like for the public for free so they can turn off my facebook again you got to be a sponsor or an invited guest you know, d you can come if you want it'll be a fun oh, ritual I want to come. okay we'll invite you well you we'll give you the invite like we'll, we'll touch space after the we'll touch after space. after we stop recording you know i will give you the details it pays to know people what yeah i know right i mean it does i mean it's actually a pretty weird ritual like not weird. I like weird rituals. I would say it's probably it's how I met Zach. Actually, it is. He decided is. I was funny. not a fake magician after that ritual. He had been awesome. going to a lot of people, but then he decided after that ritual I was not. After that ritual, fake. I was like, "Yeah, this is pretty fucked up in a good way." I'm uh, go through his book and contact this man. He did. He did. He did. And now we're we're co-owners, right? Ten years yep. later, what happens? So by that virtue, I probably should like thank Baphomet for ever meeting you, Zach. Absolutely. See, there we go. But yeah, we'll, we'll give you all the details. We'll invite you in, you know. I love it. And after that, we will be doing more stuff. We're working that out literally tonight for the whole next year of what's going to happen in the store. So Zach's probably going to order dinner, sit me down and say, I okay, am. operational manager, what should we do? <laughs> like, Let's crack these out. Let's crack these workshops up. Right, right. So, oh, as I always... Forget, before I forget, there is something happening in April that is not an appearance. In April, Llewellyn's complete book of North American folk magic is coming out, and I do have a chapter in that book. But it is also nice. a huge book of almost, I think, three, 400 pages of folk magic practitioners across the United States talking about their personal practice. So that is yeah, you know what if you're friends with anyone else who's being published in that book you know let's 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 plan to get everyone on as a panel and as many as possible and, and get a copy in our library and and that would All be right. actually I'll great see show. what i can do are you working with i'll ask out offline if who you're working okay. with to get that as always for some of the some of you listeners covid numbers again not going in the right direction so stay safe and healthy and happy, and we will see you all, and you'll hear from us next weekend. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario, proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East, Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor, and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books. Accessible anytime the store is open. Check us out online at queencitycurio.ca. Be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door. You never know 
It may just come to pass.